welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I want to share with you this morning something that's uh, been on my heart for a while. I felt to uh, do a series, and I'm going to follow this series with another similar theme. And I just want us to lift our eyes off ourselves. And I just wanted to talk about the names of God, in particular the redemptive names of God. And uh, so we're going to take about seven weeks to do this. We're going to look at seven names of God. There are many names of God. But uh, just to kind of focus us and uh, look at a particular family in the life of this church who's been impacted by this incredible God that I want to talk to you about. We have an audio-visual presentation. It is one that we shared, uh, I don't know, about six months ago, and uh, we never quite got the sound right. And so I I want to um, actually show that again. Drew's been working on that, and uh, we've had this ready for about six months since then to do again, and we've just never come around to doing it. And so I wonder if you could just please turn your attention to the screen as we look at a couple in our church and how they've been blessed by this incredible God. Thank you, guys. My name is Sipo, and this is my wife, Juliet, and this is our story. Uh, Six years ago, I moved from South Africa, coming to Australia to find a job for my family. And, um, uh, And I was all by myself, and my family was only able to come to Australia after three years. After three years, uh, we finally had an opportunity to join my husband, me and my two boys. Uh, Myself and Juliet have been married for the last 15 years, but as a family, we decided to have another child. We have two beautiful boys, and in 2009, July, I found out I was pregnant. We were so excited when we found out I was pregnant with another baby and things were going so good. But all of a sudden, things went very bad and we were so, so worried. There was a lot of frustration. Uh, It was a, a big challenge. At 26 weeks, my waters broke and I had to rush to hospital immediately. On the 25th of November, uh, while I was on the data table, uh, the doctors were already ready to do a cesarean section. One of the doctors said, let me just do, let him do a, a quick checkup and to find out Dumisano was already on the way and at 4 a.m. Dumisano was born. Uh, Dumisani, our son, was born 13 weeks prematurely. And then, small as he was, he was able to breathe normally. He was, he was, he was strong. He was doing well. You know, we, we could really see God's hand. You know, God's wonderful hand, the divine intervention. And we really saw God's demonstration of his love, that he cares for his, his children. He answers prayers. 
whenever you need him, he's always there because he's such a great God. He's a wonderful God. He's a caring God. He loves us all. That's awesome. What a great and mighty God we serve. Amen. You know what uh, prompted some of what I want to share over the next few weeks is this thought that uh, while I was away and while the cultures in which I went to were quite vastly different than the ones that we've become known and used to, the basic need of mankind is the same the world over. And uh, there are seven basic needs of humanity. Let me just quickly run through them very quickly. The first one is dignity. The second is peace. People are looking for purpose. People want health, provision, friendship, and they want a sense of victory. You go anywhere in the world and you will see those very real needs. South Africa just hosted the World Cup. And there was not a nation that was represented in the World Cup that didn't want to win a game. They didn't just want to be there, they wanted to win. What is that? That is a need that's within humanity. And I believe as we look at these names of God, you will see every one of these needs met in this incredible God in which we serve. I don't care how bad it is for you right now. I don't care how bleak it is for you right now. Look at Sipo and his family in that audio visual testimony, when things are down, God is at his best. And I trust that through this series, our our eyes will be lifted up and that we'll be able to see the goodness, the bigness, the character and the nature of this incredible God that we serve. The one God is able to meet all those needs. And this God that we serve goes by many names. Just as I am known to people in many ways, and like I said last week, some of the names people want to call me, I can't repeat to you this morning because they don't have the revelation of just how wonderful I am. They call me something else. And it's true of God. Some people use the name of the Lord in vain, but they don't use it to praise Him. They use it to mock. And so it is true for me and so it is true for you. But I go by many names. To some I'm friend, to some I'm Tony, to some I'm pastor, to some I'm son, to some I'm husband, to to one I'm husband. (laughs) If you're visiting for the first time, I just want to apologise for everything I'm about to say. Just Sorry, not at all. To some I'm dad. And those names that are given to me, the one person would describe a different need that is met through those names. And so it is with God. This all-sufficient God is known by many names. And I don't have time to tell you all the many names. But I do want to look at one of those names. And one of those names given to our God is that of Jehovah And Jehovah simply means Lord. And whenever you see Jehovah written in the Word of God, it is capital letters. So where you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's Jehovah God, Lord God. He's all sufficient and He's Lord in every circumstance and in every situation. You know, your name has a capital first letter, yeah? Well, for God, He has a capital every letter. 
Because he's above and beyond anyone we know, anything we know, anybody we know. And uh, we want to talk about this Jehovah God. And in his redemptive relation to man, Jehovah has seven compound names and each name meets the seven needs of man. And these seven compound names are known as the seven redemptive names of God. And we want to look at them because that's the mission of our church. Our mission as a church is to introduce people to God who can meet their needs. That's why we're here to say, you know what, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're putting up with right now, there is a God who knows you and loves you and is able to meet every one of your needs. Amen. That's why we're here this morning. And that is indeed what the gospel is all about. The gospel simply means good news. I don't understand a lot of churches and their long faces and their their miserable expressions of praise and worship when the gospel is such good news. I was telling somebody the other day that uh, our church is an expression of us. We're not trying to copy anybody. But you know what? When I get the Word of God into me, I get excited. And so when I shout and I jump and I sing and I raise my hands, that's just me being me because of this incredible revelation. Because when I'm excited about something, that's how I express myself. And you know what? For the most of us, that's how you express yourself. And why is it some of us get more excited about buying an iPad or an iPhone or a new computer or a new dog than we do about God? So I, I, I don't, ex- you know, that's good for you, Tony. I don't express myself that way. Yes, you do when you're excited about something. We have people that are, I'm just not, as, I'm, I'm more conservative. I'm just not that way inclined. Then you put a baby in some people's hands. Some of the quietest ladies I've ever met who would go under the banner of conservative do some of the craziest things I feel uncomfortable doing. I get a What on earth? Where did that conservative woman go? I tell you what, she, 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 was, she was lost to the praise of that child. Let God redeem your personality, people. People say, oh, that church down the road, they're the happy, clappy ones. What a compliment. I don't want sad and silent. Give me happy, clappy any day. Sad and silent. Happy, clappy. (laughs) It's awesome, it's awesome, awesome. Anyway, so getting back to my notes. um, We want to look at some of these incredible attributes of our God that are seen in his names. And the first one I want to look at today that I have the privilege of just launching off today is this, and that is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord who provides. We serve a God who provides. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Genesis 22, first book in the Old Testament. And if you don't have a Bible, please let us know. We'll get you one. And for today, please look off the screen It says in Genesis 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham was an incredible person, had an incredible encounter with God, and God had given him a promise. He'd waited a long time for this promise. He'd received the promise. He'd lived with the promise. He doted on the promise. And now God was going to test him in the very area where he promised him. 
So God gave him something and now he's going to test him in that very area. He said to him, Abraham, because that's what his name was. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Wow. Didn't Abraham have another son called Ishmael? He did. And yet God says, take your only son. I think that's an incredible thing. That the works of the flesh, the things that we try to do for God doesn't count for God. In God's eyes, he only had the one son. I could also say, you know what? It's a picture that God doesn't see our mistakes. Which is also an encouraging thought. It says, take your only son, Isaac, whom you love. In other words, God knows that Abraham loved his son. Whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'm about to tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay, with the, uh, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb? Getting a bit nervous maybe, I don't know. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Are you getting attached to this story emotionally? I mean, this, this is phenomenal. This is phenomenal, this story. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over there and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, will provide. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. And to this day it is said, O mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What a great story. I'm sure many of you have read that. I'm sure many of you have heard that. Even many non-Christians are kind of familiar with this story of Abraham sacrificing his son, Isaac. And there's many things we can draw from this, but I want to look at a few this morning. And I hope it will bless you, encourage you, speak to you, and possibly even challenge you 
this morning. But most of all, I trust that you will get to know God and get to know Him by name. That you'll get to know God by name, get to know the character and the nature and the beauty of the God in which we serve. The first thing I want to highlight this morning is simply this, that God, according to this story, and according to many examples in our lives, God will test you. God will test you. Didn't you just say He's a God of love? Yes, He is, but He will test you. Maybe some of you of Christians have found, you know, since you've been a Christian, you've been tested lots. Can anybody say amen to that? Well, it's good to know that God will test you because sometimes we feel like because we're being tested and because things aren't going so well and because so much is being asked of us, maybe we're not doing something right. Well, maybe we made a wrong decision in the first place. But I'm here to simply say, stand your ground. It's all part of the nature of God to test you. God tests His people. He says, take your son, your only son whom you love, in verse 2. Now, what you need to understand about this story is that Abraham had waited so long to have a son. And when he finally had the son that he always wanted, he was 100 years of age. That's a long time. Anyone here 100 years old? Anybody? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? No. Some of us wait 100 minutes and we think it's forever. Some of us, if we wait longer than 100 seconds to get our burger from Macca's, there's problems. This man waited a hundred years to get the promise. God said you will have a son. He waits a hundred years to get this promised son. It's all he ever wanted. And when he got this son, imagine, you finally, after waiting all that time, can can you imagine what those moments in the home look like? Doting on the son, feeding the son, changing the nappies, just watching him grow. The love and the investment in that child over the years. Watching the sport, sitting on the couch. Abraham and Isaac watching the television. Foxtel. Now they weren't invented, but put it into your context. That's that's the kind of thing. They're doing life together. And as the years go by, And there's a couple of discrepancies, but most commentaries would say that Isaac was around the age of 30 when all this happened. 30 years of doting and loving and pouring himself into this child of his. And God in heaven is watching on. And God's saying to himself, wow, I know you love your son, that's evident. And I think God's looking down on heaven today saying, I know you love your PlayStation, that's evident. I know you love your work, that's evident. I know you love your wife or your husband, that's, I know you love your kids, that's, that's awesome. Nothing wrong with that. But now God wants to test him. Where in the area of his love? Because in the heart of God, there's this question, I know you love your son, but do you love me? Do you love me? In other words, do you love the gift more than the giver of the gift? I think that's when the problems come. And you might say, oh, that's a bit immature of God. In the heart of every parent, that's what we want to know. Kids, 
I'm happy to give you whatever, but I want you to, do you still love me? Where does that come from? The heart of God. Have your PlayStation, have the whatever, but I want you to still love me. And the moment something gets in the way of the relationship between you and me, there's a problem. And so what we do as parents, we test them by taking that thing off them. That's what loving parents do. We want to know if they love the giver more than the gift. And God is looking down saying, man, for the last 30 years, I've seen that you love your son. And who knows what it looked like in Abraham's life. Maybe it became more about the sport and more about time with his son than time with God. And so God says a little bit of a test here. When my kids start being more on the television or more on their PlayStation or more on their computer or more on the things that we've bought them, I have to step in and say, okay, it's enough. I didn't raise you just to sit in front of a screen. I raised you to do life together and to fulfill a purpose. So I'm reading into the story. I don't know what it looked like, but just maybe, just maybe Abraham was drifting. Who knows? And even if he wasn't, I imagine there are some of us here who may be drifting in our love for God as the gift gets in the way of the giver. One thing we try to do to make our kids both appreciative and focused in all of our travels that we do is remind them of one thing, that we are doing all that we're doing. And our kids have been blessed and they've also paid a price because of the job that we have. But more recently, they came with us to South Africa and we reminded them when they were having the most fun meeting new friends and doing some incredible things. She said, you know what, kids? You wouldn't be doing this more than likely if we hadn't said yes to Jesus. I know there's moments when you go without. And I know there's a weight that you carry as pastor's kids. But I want to tell you, there's plenty of blessings. And so let's not just take this moment of blessing and just think you deserve it. But let's remember where the blessing comes from. And so when we was in South Africa and I was in Madagascar with Mitch, we just were grateful to God. And I just kept reminding them that God has made all this possible. Because God wants to bless, God wants to give. But whatever He blesses us with and whatever He gives us, He's going to test us. To say, okay, do you love me more? Do you love me more? And I don't think that's unreasonable because every parent in this place wants to know if their kids love them more than their PlayStation, than their McDonald's, than their television program. And we have an opportunity to put our kids to the test every day when we have dinner together and we turn the television off. Right when The Simpsons is on. Or whatever else it is that you love watching. And we say, it's going off. We're going to gather around together. And we're going to thank God and we're going to enjoy one another. Because that sounds more like New Testament Christianity to me than just sitting in front of the television. Amen. And so God, number one, will test you. Secondly, God will reveal himself to us. See, it's not like he tests us and then just leaves us alone. He tests us, but in the testing, he reveals himself to us at a new level. See, this mountain that God had told Abraham to sacrifice his son was some 50 to 60 kilometers away. 
And the Bible records that it was a three-day journey. Now, it's one thing to obey God in the moment. You hear a word and you say, right, I'm in. We respond to God in a moment like this. We say, yes, I'm in. Then you've got the rest of your life to walk it out. And so there's a sense by which Abraham surrenders to God and he, he gets his wood and he gets it all together and he, he prepares the sacrifice and then he starts walking. I don't know what he felt at midday in the first day, but I imagine a whole heap of thoughts are going through his mind. Then he gets to nighttime in the first day. He's got a whole heap of thoughts. I imagine there's just demonic thoughts crowding him in. What are you doing? This is stupid. After all your hundred years you've waited, this is the promise of God. Did you really hear God? And all these thoughts are possibly flooding his mind. But he walks and he walks and he walks and he walks for three days. Possibly the loneliest Three days of his life. Lots of questions. Even his son Isaac has a lot of questions. Isaac's like, Dad, I see the fire and I see the wood. I mean, he's carrying them. I got it. <laughs> but where's the lamb, Dad? Dad, what are you going to do, Dad? What's going on, Dad? Why is there no lamb? Dad. Put all the gear down night. They're talking around the campfire. Dad, what's going on? Where, where's the lamb? You're not going to do anything silly, are you, Dad? People think that the Bibles are irrelevant. It's so old-fashioned. My gosh. This is very real. This is very real for Abraham at this moment. And I want to encourage you in the questions that were being asked at that moment. It's amazing what answers come when you start asking questions. Often we don't get answers because we don't ask questions. But Abraham answers not out of his soul, not out of his physical well-being. He answers from deep within. He answers from his spirit. He answers from a revelation that God had given him. And this was not just a revelation that God loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me. This is a fresh revelation. This is a revelation that he's had in the deepest, darkest moments of his life. Thank God for that day when we give our lives to Jesus. Thank God for that day when we go through the waters of baptism. Thank God for that day when we first um, express the fullness of the Holy Spirit with the expression of speaking in tongues. Praise God for all of those. But you know what? If that was 20 years ago for you, 10 years ago, it's too long if that's your last revelation. You need fresh daily manna from heaven. You need fresh revelation from God on a regular basis. Because when you're going through a tough time, you need something now. And Abraham has a fresh revelation of God. Because God wants to reveal Himself. And where God is great at revealing Himself is when the times are the toughest. I was in South Africa recently, as many of you would know. Had an opportunity to speak to many great friends and pastors. And one of them I was speaking to on the very night that we left the country. 
in the airport. Heinz Schrader, he was here five years ago. And he asked me this question. He says, what, what do you think makes a ministry? And it was kind of like a rhetorical question because he kind of had an answer for it. And without thinking about it too much, I said, oh, tough times, without a doubt. Tough times make a ministry. You don't learn much in the good times. It's the tough times. And he said, I, I totally agree. And then he started telling me a story of something that happened to him two years ago. Because in South Africa, the security is heightened because of the crime. There's barbed wire fences everywhere. There's electric fences everywhere. There's bars on windows everywhere. That's just the commonplace. Those who've been to South Africa, give me an amen. It's true, huh? And when uh, Heinz and Manny were coming home one day, having had a great day with the family, they pull into the car, uh, the, the, the driveway. They open the car and then they get hijacked in their own driveway. Heinz gets bludgeoned on the back of the head by the butt of a gun. His whole t-shirt is covered in blood. There's, 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 there's nothing of the t-shirt you can now see that's not stained in blood. They drag him inside and they start ransacking the house. He never forgets the look on his mum's face. Just the fear. The dread. As she was watching it. Heinz is covered in blood. He's got a throbbing head. He's looking at his mum and dad in fear. His wife and his two kids are still in the car. They're loading up the car. They want to take off. They're screaming, let the kids out, let the kids out, let the kids out. Take what you want, but don't take the kids. The whole time, this guy's got a gun to his head. And he's saying to Heinz over and over and over again, you're effing dead in a minute, you're effing dead, you're effing dead. You're effing dead in a minute, shut up, you're effing dead. How's a ministry made? A few moments like that. Cut a long story short, they do get the kids out. They take all the stuff. Later on, they catch the guy and his accomplices to find out this, that this man had killed many people. In fact, the night before Heinz and Mandy's robbery, he killed the guy in front of his wife. That was his signature. The night after, he did the very same thing. And he shot the husband in front of the wife. It's what he did. But for some reason, he didn't shoot Heinz. And Heinz won't lie to you. There was some counseling that he had to go through. There were some dark moments he had to go through. In actual fact, I was surprised. I said to Kath, I said, man, I knew he got hijacked. He told me that. But it's kind of like two years later, he told me the detail. And maybe that's because he just feels he can now. But here's the testimony out of all that. Two years later, Heinz can look me fair square in the eye and say, Jehovah Jireh, our God provides. And he's had a revelation of God that many of us are yet to experience. I would love to think that we could have a revelation like that of God without all that other stuff. 
But sometimes God will use those difficult moments in our lives to reveal himself in new ways. I know those that have loved ones that have passed away. It's often at those moments where the most questions are asked, but where God reveals himself more than ever before. Steve Curtis Chapman wrote an incredible album called Beauty Will Rise. And he wrote that after the day that his 17-year-old son backed over his three-year-old daughter and killed her. And out of that dark place, out of that dark moment, he writes some of his best music. Being a Christian, knowing God, doesn't mean that you won't have tough times. You'll have tough times. You'll have moments where God is testing you. You'll have moments where the devil will test you. You'll have moments where your friends will test you. You'll have moments where your wife will test you. You'll have moments where your kids will test you. You'll have moments where everything in your life is testing you. But if you keep your focus, you can see God in a fresh new light. And you'll come through that bigger and stronger and better than ever before because that's what life is all about. It's not about comfort. It's about getting to know God. I'm tired of churches that say, come to Jesus and they make it so easy to come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. It's not true. Christianity in its purest, simplest form is about having an intimate relationship with God, our Creator, through Jesus Christ. And no matter what we go through, we go through it. No matter what we walk through, we walk through it. Where we feel like giving up and giving in and we feel weak, we find strength, not in us, but in Him. He's the one who provides. He's the one who reveals in our deepest, darkest moments. And this faith, I believe, that's growing in Abraham as he says, God will provide. I sense something of Abraham, or sorry, Isaac's faith changing. Because when the time comes to sacrifice, it says the father ties him up. Now, if Abraham is 130 and Isaac is 30, I think Isaac can take his dad now. I think, he, I think he's got him. And even if he can't take him, I think he can outrun him. Either way, you're not just going to let your dad tie you up unless you willingly sacrifice and surrender yourself. See, faith is contagious. Isaac's like, where, 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 where's the lamb, dad, 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 dad? What are you doing? What's going on? But by the time they finish the journey, he's saying, do what you've got to do. That's what we are called to do as believers is to influence our world. Someone is going to be influenced. Either the world is going to influence the church or the church is going to influence the world. I suggest that the church should be influencing the world. Amen. That's what we're here for. And here's Abraham saying, don't worry, son. God will provide. I've had a revelation. I know my God. And Abraham came to the place where he said to himself, even if I kill him, God will raise him up. Abraham's full of faith now. He's tying him up possibly still with a tear in his eye. I don't know what it looked like, but he lays him down and his son willingly is laid down. And my third point and final point is this, that God will provide. 
God will provide. Albeit at the last minute at times. I didn't say he'll provide before you stress out. I didn't say he'll provide when you want him to. He will provide in his perfect time. He will provide at just the right moment. And we see this son tied up on the altar, father standing over him, ready to plunge a knife into his son. He's he's committed, I'm going to do this. The angel of the Lord has to stop him. He's that committed now. The angel of the Lord says, I can see you fear God more than anything else. What an incredible picture. And he says, look over there. Out of nowhere, there's a, there's a ram. I mean, it wasn't there before. I mean, if, if that ram showed up any sooner, I'm sure Abraham would have taken that as a sign. So from tying him up to plant now this, this obedient ram comes out of nowhere. God says, Ram, I've got an appointment for you. Appointment with death. And this, lamp, this ram like runs. And as he's running, he doesn't know why he's running. He just feels to run. Some animals are more obedient than people. It's just like he's just running. And who knows what the attention was with the bush. Maybe there's some food. Oh, bush, food. And as... He puts his head in to get some food from the bush. The bush, in obedience to God, grabs his horns. I'm reading into it, yes. But either way, this, this ram's like, oh man, what's going on? I can't stop. When? Just at the right time. Where? Just at the right place. That could have happened in any bush in any part of the world. But it just so happened to be where there's a man performing a sacrifice and his son's got a big knife. It's not the best place to get caught in a bush if you're a ram. But God is sovereign. And he provides. The lamb gets slaughtered. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God not only provided the ram, but he also provided the faith that was needed to go through this. You say, how did he do it? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. The Bible goes on to say that God will not tempt us beyond which we can bear. If you're struggling today in your faith, if you're struggling in an area in your life today, God will not only provide what you need, he'll even provide the faith for you to believe what you need to believe in. So that we may not boast. People say, I don't need God. God, that that makes you a proud person. The Bible says he will humble the proud. He said, if you will humble yourself and say, I need God, he will exalt the humble. Christianity is this saying, I'm weak, I'm wretched. 
And you don't have to wait till you've been to jail. And you don't have to wait till you've done a thousand things wrong. Had 27 marriages. Kids hate you before you get to that place. You know, I've never been drunk in my life. I've never done drugs and I've never smoked a cigarette. But I've had this revelation. I'm nothing without God. Sally, Graham is the exact opposite of my life. All the things I didn't do, she did. She not only smoked them and did it, she sold it and whatever. She's, she was really bad. But no worse than me. Christianity is humbling yourself. What I love about this story, it's a picture, it's a type. Those of you who are into typology, it's a type of Christ. We see a father giving his son and we see a son willingly lay down his life. Did not Jesus carry the cross to the place of the skull? And yet it was Isaac, the son, who was carrying the wood. How long was the journey? Three days. How long was Jesus in the tomb? Three days. It's an incredible picture. And God is using different people throughout church history as a metaphor, an illustration of what's to come. I mean, it was very real for Abraham. Absolutely. It's not a parable. It's not a fable. It's something he went through. And yet God was using it to paint a picture that there's a Christ. All of the redemptive names of God are found and met and fulfilled in the life of one man. His name is Jesus. Just as God met the need of Abraham through sending a lamb, God met every one of our needs through sending a lamb. His name is Jesus. He willingly went to the cross. The Bible says He could have called 10,000 angels and delivered himself from such an affliction. But had he saved himself, he would not have been able to save others. He was even ridiculed. And he says, you who hang on the cross, you who say you can save others, why don't you save yourself? But that's the point, as Jesus hung on the cross, if he had saved himself, he wouldn't have saved us. And I wanna say to every Christian out here today, when you feel like giving in and saving yourself, because that's all it is. When you give in and you make it easy, you're just saving yourself. So I'm, I'm saving myself the hassle, saving myself the trouble, saving myself the embarrassment. Every time we save ourselves, we forfeit saving others. I would rather be with Jesus and endure the shame, the, play, the blame and the pain. Endure the cross that we might save others. We've been through a lot in 16 years to get here. And many of you in this room today came to Christ this year. But we've endured much opposition, much testing. And had we given in, those moments that you've received this year may never have happened, not, not with us. It's all worth it. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.